0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at E3. And uh, I can't believe it. We are at the end of our seven, uh, our exploration of the seven deadly sins. And we are uh, today looking at actually the one uh, that is really the root, I believe, is the root of the other six But also, in the 21st century, it uh, has been downgraded not as a sin, but actually upgraded to a virtue, and that is pride. And uh, it was funny, when I turned in my notes a couple of weeks ago, uh, Don Don called me, and she said, "You really want me to print that title?" and uh, and uh, and I said, "Yeah." And she's like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yes. I think that our community will understand that this this is comedy, and this is just Mark and and trying to make a point because." Uh, un- Unveiled pride can be really, really ugly, so let me make a uh, just a a full disclosure. Today will not be the best sermon that you've ever heard and I am uh, definitely not the humblest pastor ever, so uh, that was meant to be funny so take it as take it as you wish. so uh, the interesting thing is if you really think about it and you think about our world in the twenty first century we wouldn't even know that pride was a sin if it wasn't for Jesus. Like outside of the church, outside of the Christian church, outside of the body of Christ, pride is celebrated. It's... Uh, We look for it in our celebrities. We look for it in our politicians. We look for it in all sorts of things that that pride is infiltrated and become part of every part of our culture. We have school pride, Southern pride, gay pride, all sorts of pride that that we take on this label and, and we're actually proud of it now. But quietly in the back, we have the the shadow of the cross. A savior who would wash his disciples' feet and say, I did not come to be served, but to serve. A savior who willingly, who was God, if anyone should have accolations and, and worship and praise, it should have been Jesus. And he said, I will go to the cross as a criminal and I will die a criminal's death. And as we move into Holy Week, we'll be marching toward the cross and, and then next Sunday as we celebrate the re- resurrection. But as we see that, that generosity, the generosity of our God, God so loved the world that he gave his only son is the antithesis of pride. So how do we as, as, as sisters and brothers in Jesus Navigating a world that 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 looks for pride, that celebrates pride, a world that 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 applauds when when Joe Namath says it's not bragging if you can do it. This is a real difficult thing because in the 21st century, pride is not a sin. What is a sin is low self-esteem, low low self-respect, lack of confidence, and, and not asserting yourself. In the 21st century, prides ugly cousins, arrogance, egotism, vanity, and conceit has been rebranded as an American virtue. So how how do we go forward as people who claim that they are followers of a savior who will stoop and and wash his disciples' feet and go to the cross for us, but also live lives of faith of confidence in God and not confidence in ourselves. You know, pride, unfortunately, I think uh, at its core, basically shrinks the most important commandment to holistically love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and equal as important to love your neighbor as yourself. It has shrunk that into simply love thyself. As a pastor, I have heard so many times this pop culture uh, uh, psychology, it says, I can't love somebody else until I love myself. You know what? The Bible says that we can love because God loved us first. That we are valued in the sight of God. And unfortunately... If you think about it, at the center of the word pride is what? The letter I. And what I do in pride is take the focus off my Lord and Savior and I put it on myself. So what is pride? Pride is essentially this. Pride is when we ignore God and take his glory for ourselves. I mean, that's really what pride is, is when we ignore God and we take his glory, we take focus off of him with our actions or our words or our deeds and we put it on ourselves or we seek human approval over God's approval. Both cases share a a disordered dedication and a warped sense of love because we are seeking glory for ourselves rather than for God. And one thing that pride really does share with with the rest of the other six uh, deadly sins is that they isolate us. This is essentially what sin does, that sin isolates us from God, it isolates us from others. And pride takes the focus off God and puts it on to ourselves, and it takes and also pride pushes other people away because authenticity and pride do not go together. you know we are all wrapped up in this in this world and I 'm guilty of it too I live in this world that that you know we are you know, when we put our profile pictures on on Facebook or or Instagram or or something like that, you know, we usually put a pretty nice picture about ourselves, right? That we we craft and brand ourselves online. We uh, it's it's incredible to me. Like as a you know, I'm a coach uh, with for middle schooler and high schooler and elementary kids. Uh, uh, in cycling, and it is really interesting to me how much their value is wrapped up and how many likes they get. It's been a real education to me that, that they talk about that all the time. How many likes did you get on that picture? I got this many likes, or, or in the time. And really this is coming down to is they're trying to self-glorify, but who can blame them because everywhere in the world is telling them that the more friends they have, the more likes they have, the more fulfilled they are going to be. And it is a flat out lie. Simply put, pride values other people's approval over God's approval. I mean, that, if you just wanna, you know, like drop the mic and walk off the stage, that is what it is. And it's sad that we try to manage our identity and how people see us instead of seeing and, and, and uh, being secure in our identity in Christ. So I wanted to share three kind of short scriptures with you about, about pride just to give us a little bit of context. And then I want to finish off on, on the solution, uh, how do, uh, to thwart basically this, this preeminent sin that in our culture is no longer a sin. First, we need to realize that pride is the first of all sins. If you turn to Genesis chapter three, verses one through six, this is the fall of man. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it too. And basically encapsulated, this is, this is, again, the heart of pride. That the Bible says pride goeth before the fall. And what was the woman and the man's uh, desire here was to pride, to take the glory off of God and to put the glory onto themselves. And this was the beginning of the spiral and the brokenness of humanity. The second scripture I wanted to share with you is found in Luke chapter 18. And one of the tricky things about about pride for a Christian is it's like an onion. You ever peel an onion? What's under an onion peel? Another onion. And and a lot of times, especially when uh, I don't know if you know the progression of of a follower of Christ, but it is very similar to a human's progression in just, in just life. You have your your infants, where they're like gaga ga, goo goo, and you feed them, and they're happy and they're cute, and all that kind of stuff. And then you know they they uh, start to grow up a little bit and, you know, they're toddlers and, and, and elementary kids and they say cute things and they're fun, you know, and, and all that, and then they become adolescents. And adolescents are no longer cute and no longer say cute things. They they know it all, right? Everybody, when we were, you know, when you're teenagers, you knew it all. I. Mean, it's just it's just the way that you you become very prideful. Your parents don't know anything. Your teachers don't know anything. That that's just the way it is. And, it, and it's not until you know your later twenties that you realize mom and dad aren't idiots. <laughs> oh, that teacher might have known something. Oh, the pastor actually may have had some you know wisdom or or something like that. And the same is true in in the Christian journey. That you have your baby. Christians and they drink their milk and then they grow up and they say, you know, cute things, you know, and, and then later on, you know, Christians can get very, very prideful yeah. and very arrogant in, in their adolescent years. I'll just, I mean, I, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. I, you know, probably right around, you know, year six of, of following Christ, eh, maybe year four, you know, following Christ. I thought I had it all figured out. I can tell you the longer that I have followed Jesus, the more I realize I do not have it figured out. The longer I have been a pastor, the more I realize how in desperate need of a savior and a leader in my life that I have. And and it's this beginning to realize that, you know what? How do we navigate this? And the problem is when you're, you're growing up, you, you peel off one of these things like, you know, uh, say that, that your, your life is an onion and, and you peel that, that, that onion and you're like, oh, you know what? I no longer deal with greed. But right under that, you have pride again. And you're like, okay, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna deal with that. And then you feel good about these virtues and you keep on pulling and you keep on finding like the more ver- you know, more sins and more things that you pull off, the more puffed up and prideful you get. And this is natural. And it's the progression of where you get to the point where you finally peel off enough that you realize that you have nothing in everything is because of your Lord and Savior. And we see this time and time and time again in scripture and one of those accounts is found in Luke chapter five, verse 27. Excuse me, Luke chapter 18, verse nine. That one will come later. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Can you say adolescent? Adolescent. Right? Adolescent spirit. Great confidence in their own righteousness and scorns everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. Sounds like a good thing to do. One was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a a ruler of the religious law. And And the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, isolation, stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. <laughs> I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Basically, what's going on here? He is taking the glory off of God and, and putting it on himself that he is isolating himself not only from God, but from others. He is standing by himself. He is is putting and saying, look at everything that I have done. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful on me for I am a sinner. I tell you this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And then listen what Jesus says at the end For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. These are Jesus' words. This is Jesus trying to model and help us understand. That, that it is not about us, it is about him. That we are saved by grace, but we are saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God in our actions, our words, our deeds. And yes, you know, you, me, all of us fail in that and that's where grace comes in. But ultimately, our lives, which the Bible calls fruit, that are the fruit of our lives, <laughs> should be something that, that points people to Jesus. I wanna finish with this scripture. And uh, this scripture, uh, I said it earlier, was Luke chapter five. And, and essentially, this is calling one of, one of the disciples, Matthew, in this scripture, they call him Levi. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, a tax collector in in the first century uh, in in this context was a Jewish uh, person who basically has turned on his people and, and is extorting them with the power of the Roman government behind them. So very hated. And Jesus goes up to this this, this hated tax collector, and he says, "'Follow me and be my disciple,' Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples.' Why do you eat with such scum? Jesus answered them, listen to this. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I mean, essentially what the scripture says is Jesus doesn't party with the proud. If you think that you are good enough, if you don't think that you ever have done something that requires a Savior, then you know what? Jesus says, not me, Jesus says, he hasn't come for you who think you don't need a Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Savior from what? Savior from eternal separation from God and those who, and his followers. Eternal separation and isolation. And this is at the heart of, of the seven deadly sins. It is the heart of every sin is taking the glory off of God and putting it on ourselves. The big I. Essentially, pride leads to hypocrisy. We see this time and time again in the Bible, and we've seen it for the past two thousand years in the church. Hypocrisy is the natural result result of pride. Imagine Jesus updating his warning in Matthew chapter twenty-three, verses twenty-seven and eight from. What sorrow waits, you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sort of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And imagine him updating this for the 21st century church in saying this, how sad you will be when you are faced with the reality that perfect church attendance, tithing, serving, and supporting global missions may look religious, but without a right relationship with God, it is all meaningless. Sisters and brothers in Christ, God is more concerned about our hearts than our actions. Yes, we are saved by grace and yes, we are saved by a purpose. But it is not by works that we get a right relationship with God. It is by grace. And it is through an encounter with the one true living God that we are transformed and we take the focus off of ourselves and we are in such awe of a holy savior that we want to make our lives about him. Unfortunately, pride wins the applause of people and approval of others but it's the cost of real community. Let me say that again. Unfortunately, pride gets the the temporary applause and adoration from other people, but at the price of authentic community. The only way to prevail over pride is to submit and acknowledge that God is God and you are not. Amen. To prevail over pride is, is to relinquish our place as being in the center of our universe and to admit that from beginning to end, it is not about us, it is about God to realize that God modeled generosity and the virtue of generosity is to to give, to take attention off of ourselves. And again, Jesus and the cross is the ultimate example of generosity. Sadly, pride is a cheap substitute for true fulfillment of human desire to be profoundly known by another person, to be known by name, for who we truly are and to be loved just as we are. God knows this need. God knows your need to be known. This is not by accident. He not only knows it, but he put it in you that he has designed us each to want to be known. We have just accepted a cheap imitation of, of worldly acknowledgement and temporal uh, applause over the pure and holy acknowledgement of our Father. In Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1, God reveals to us, he says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who forms you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And before we ever tried to get a like on Facebook, before we ever tried to make a name for ourselves, before our name was ever on the door or we were in a corner office, before we ever got our first name tag at our first job, Jesus knew your name. And Jesus knows your name today. He knit you together in your mother's womb. That you are special and wonderfully made. And the creator of the universe loves you, knows you better than anybody else, And he calls you by.